0: <clears throat> Let's go ahead and pray as we look into God's Word. Father, we thank you for this time of the service. We thank you that uh, we have, first of all, songs to sing and praise to give. And now, Lord, we pray that you'd open our eyes to your Word and help us to understand it even better and to follow it even close more closely, and then Lord, that you would be honored and lifted up from our being here today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as we've already said this morning, we've been on this journey to Jesus' last days before he goes to the cross. And we saw that he made arrangements kind of a secret arrangements to meet in a certain room with his disciples for the, his last Passover while he's on the earth. And he said, I've been looking toward this Passover. This time with you as a special time. And as they met to share the special meal that, <clears throat> that they'd come together, the Passover meal, at one point, we saw last week where Jesus gets up he takes off his outer clothing. He's dressed down into servant's clothing. He pours water in a basin and then proceeds to go around and wash the feet of each disciple. Now, I don't know if you can imagine how that would feel if you were one of the disciples and you were sitting there and Jesus was up washing everybody's feet. Of course, Peter kind of resisted. He said, Lord, you'll never wash my feet. Like, you're not going to be my servant. And Jesus says, well, if I don't, then you can have nothing. We cannot have anything together. And he said, well, wash my head and my hands, too. He says, well, after somebody's had a bath, all you need is your feet washed. And then Jesus says to them, now... You call me Lord and Teacher, and that's true. And if I, your Lord and Teacher, wash your feet, you should watch each, wash each other's feet. And so he's telling them that they should take the servant's role with each other. And then at one point during this time, Jesus shares some very disturbing news that it's going to be one of them that will betray him to his enemies. And these enemies want to kill him. And so one of them is going to betray him, knowing that his enemies want to kill him. And, of course, that sets a tone in the room, doesn't it? That brings a dark cloud over the whole, the whole uh, evening. And then, <clears throat> at some point in the midst of all of this, Jesus informs his disciples that soon he will be leaving them. And where he goes, they can't go with him. Of course, Peter says, Lord, where are you going? I want to go with you. I'll follow you anywhere, and I will even lay down my life for you. And Jesus says, will you lay down your life for me? The truth is, before tomorrow morning, you are going to deny that you even know me three times. And so just think now, the atmosphere in this room. You know, they've gathered for a very special time with Jesus. They're out away from all the crowds. They're doing it as special friends with each other they're with their most favorite person in the whole world. They've grown to love Him. They're celebrating, you know, the most special meal that there is, the Passover. This meal where they commemorate God's powerful, miraculous delivery from Egyptian slavery. Yet, there's something ominous in the air, isn't there? I mean, that one of them will betray Jesus. Him telling them that he has to leave them. His parting command is now love one another as I have loved you. And then him telling Peter that he's going to deny him before morning. And you know maybe we've all experienced times like these We believe in God the Father even when certain ones in our society try to convince us that there is no God and that religion is just superstition. We believe in Jesus Christ, that he died on the cross to pay for our sins when others just scoff at that idea that it's just old fairy tales. And so we take that stand and yet In choosing to follow God, sometimes we find ourselves still facing serious difficulties. Difficulties that we might even think, well, should I I be facing these? I'm a follower of Christ, I believe in God. And we face them in our marriages and in our families and at work, and in our friendships, in finances, and in our health, when we have trouble with neighbors, even in church problems. Shouldn't our commitment to Christ take care of all those worldly problems? And just like the disciples, sometimes it's hard to make all the pieces fit. Like, why didn't God answer this prayer? And why did he allow this disaster to happen? Why did he allow this trial in my life? And I'm I'm wondering if that's how the apostles were feeling. As you know, over the three years, of course, when they first met Jesus, you know, he, he brought all the fish in, and they're going, whoa, who is this guy? And then, as time went along, they started becoming more and more convinced that, okay, this probably is the Messiah. And it was a long, slow process for them to just kind of keep taking it in the different things that Jesus did, the things that He said, the, the conversations that He had with people. And now, at this point, they're pretty convinced that He is the Messiah. And they're pretty dedicated to Him. But then all this stuff happens the betrayal, him leaving, Peter denying. Well, in uh, chapter 14 of the Gospel of John, Jesus has some words for his disciples that could bring about a whole different light on this subject. So in chapter 14 of the Gospel of John, let's look at the first four verses. This is in that upper room. This is when all that stuff is happening that I just said. And then he says to them, this is right after, in in the scriptures, it's right after he talks about Peter's denial. And Jesus says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Jesus is speaking comfort to his disciples, isn't he? You know, they've been been encountering all this stuff in the upper room at the Passover meal, and he's telling them, don't let your hearts be troubled. And you know, one interesting thing about this is that that very night, as they leave the upper room, and going on through the night and into the next day, they will encounter the most horrible experiences that they will ever go through. With the arrest, the agony in the garden, the arrest, the trials, the lies, the beatings, crucifixion, that's all coming in the next number of hours. And yet he's telling them here, don't let your hearts be troubled. And of course, Jesus himself soon will be enduring unbelievable anguish in the garden. And he will be beat, basically beyond description. And he will be falsely accused and tried and condemned and hung on a cross. Yet, he's telling them, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God believe also in me. My father's house has many living places in it, many living spaces, plenty of room for everyone. I'm going to go and take you there. If it weren't so, why would I tell you I'm going to prepare rooms for you? And if I do, I'm going to come back and take you there. Do you know what that is a description of? When he says... My father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. Going to prepare a place for you and take you there. You know what that's that's talking about? That's a Jewish wedding. A Jewish marriage ceremony. You know, oftentimes the two families would get together of the prospective bride and the prospective groom, and they'd make arrangements. The, whatever the money arrangements are and the agreements between the two families for this wedding. And then, uh, commonly, back in Jesus' day, then the groom would go back, he and his family would go back to their village, and he would be preparing a place. And oftentimes it was on the same property or maybe part of the same house. You know, just like even, you know, as we were living in the country. <clears throat> That sort of thing happened even with farmers. You know, it had a lot of land. There'd be a house there for uh, a son. They got married. <clears throat> of course, after a few years, that son and new wife would kind of move off to another place. <laughs> so I, I think they, <clears throat> they would change that up a little bit. But he says, I'm taking you back, and it's just like a marriage ceremony what would happen was that the groom would come at some point during that year. It was usually within about a year. And they didn't know when he was coming. And that's when Jesus talks about, we always have to be ready. And so the bride always had to be ready. And then when they, he would come with his, his uh, men, his groomsmen, his friends. And they'd be like a procession coming into town. And then there would be people seeing them and going back and warning everybody, and everybody's excited about, here comes, you know, here comes the wedding. Here comes the wedding party. And they would all come in, and the bride would get herself ready, and then they would go back to the groom's place or wherever they're having the ceremony and have the wedding ceremony. And then they would move back in with, with the groom and his family. So, Jesus is saying, I'm leaving for now, but I'm going back to prepare a place for you. And we know that there's going to be a wedding supper of the Lamb, don't we? And there's plenty of room in my father's house, on his property. It's going to be great. It's going to be a great thing. So, don't let your hearts be troubled. And in fact, you even know the way to my father's house. He says, "You know the way to the place where I am going." But here's where we run into a communication problem. Thomas's answer is I'm trying to get to the next day go thank you. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Okay. Jesus says, they know the way. Thomas says, we don't know the way. Now, he's talking about the way to his father's house, right? The way to the father. He's talking about actually eternal life. He's talking about heaven. He's talking about the kingdom of God. He says, you know the way. Thomas says, we don't know the way. Who's right? Do they or don't they know the way? You'd think that Thomas would know if he doesn't know something, right? Don't you usually know if you don't know something? Well, not always, but a lot of time you have a good clue. But then, you think, but how could Jesus be wrong? He's never wrong. So who do you think is right? Jesus or Thomas? Well, look at verses 6 and 7. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Jesus was right. Thomas did know the way to the Father because he knew Jesus. And Jesus is the way to the Father. He's the only way to the Father. They just didn't know that they knew the way to the Father. They didn't think of it as Jesus. And now, of course, this statement of Jesus, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This has become a very well-known verse in the Bible, hasn't it? It's a very good verse to know and to use. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life he's telling us that he is the pathway to eternal life. And he himself is eternal life. He is the unique, one and only Son of God who sacrificed himself to pay the penalty for our sins. And it's by going to him that we find forgiveness for our sins. It's by going to Him we find salvation in God. He is God's salvation for humanity. There is no salvation outside of Jesus Christ. So if somebody wants to start trying to live a Christian life or a good life or something outside of Jesus Christ, it doesn't work. There is no life outside of Jesus Christ. People will scoff at this claim. It doesn't matter. A billion scoffings won't change the truth of the statement. Stephen Hawking, who died recently, was agreed by so many people that he was the smartest man on earth, the most intelligent man on earth. He, he did papers that <clears throat> almost no one could read black holes and and all kinds of things about the, the universe he did not believe in God he said at towards the end of his life he did not believe in God of course he did not believe that Jesus was the savior that saved us from our sins he did not believe in sin and salvation like like the bible teaches and you know what He lost. It doesn't matter what his IQ score was. It doesn't matter how many papers he wrote. It doesn't matter if he could out-argue people. What matters is that Jesus is the way to the Father. And that truth is the basis for everything else. That Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And that is the foundation for everything. And you know what? A small child can receive it. While a brilliant scientist can reject it. That kind of tells you what it's all about. So think of what's being said here. Jesus is telling his disciples... Don't let your hearts be troubled. Even though he knows that the most horrible experience that will ever be is right in front of him. So why can't he tell them not to be troubled? Is it because it won't be difficult for them? No, it will be the most difficult thing they ever face. Is it because it won't hurt? No, it's going to hurt very, very badly, extremely, excruciatingly painful. Then why does Jesus tell them not to let their hearts be troubled? You know why? Because Jesus has it all under control. God has it all under control. Believe in God. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, I would, have, would I have told you I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may be where I am. You know the place to where I'm going. They are headed for horrible suffering, but God has a kingdom waiting for them on the other side. Jesus is headed for horrible suffering. But Jesus has a throne waiting for him on the other side. Jesus wasn't looking for glory in this life. He had his sight set beyond the cross. The writer to the Hebrews talks about this <clears throat> in a few verses. He says in chapter 12, And let us run with perseverance. Perseverance is that hanging on during the tough times. It's not giving up. They are headed for horrible suffering but God has a kingdom waiting for them on the other side. It's that perseverance mindset. Do we have the perseverance mindset? I think it's easier for us to just kind of let it go because of the prosperous. We have so much comfort and so much prosperity. I think it's It's easier for people living in prosperity and abundance to kind of lose that persevering mindset. But it's looking past the suffering. It's seeing beyond everything to the finish line. It's what allowed or encouraged Jesus to complete his mission for our sakes finish the mission that the Father gave Him so that we could be saved. And it's what can motivate us to complete the mission God has given us. If we're just walking along without giving any attention to what the Lord wants and what we're supposed to be doing for the Lord, we've missed it. And this is what can motivate us. Let's not let our hearts be troubled. Although there will be troubled times. We believe in God. And we believe in his only begotten son. Who gave his life life as a ransom for many. Who endured the shame to bring us to glory. And let's run the race before us. This is what the apostles were learning on that last night before Jesus went to the cross. Look beyond the cross. The glory is beyond the cross. Now, just before we finish, we have one last message of uh, comfort. It's a big one, and we could go into it you know, for a long ways, but we're just going to cover it quickly. It's a message of help in difficult times. But it's 15 through 18. He says, If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate, someone who stands up for somebody else and helps them through usually legal troubles. He will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of Truth. The world cannot accept him, the Spirit, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. He says, I'm not leaving you here to carry on this mission all by yourselves in your own power. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to empower you and to help you and to be with you and to guide you and to be your strength. Now, we could get into a great big discussion on the Holy Spirit. Maybe someday we will for sure. But right now, I just want to say that this Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, He's the one whom God sent to be the presence and power of God in the world and in our lives. He played a major role in establishing the early church. He's the power and presence of God in this age. He indwells all who turn to Christ in true faith. He is God's gift to the church and to each individual who comes to Christ to help us live and to help us minister for the Lord. Now, this passage we just read. He says, "If you love me and keep my commands, or love me, keep my command, If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father; He will give you another Advocate." Jesus was telling them that if they set out on his pathway that he's given them, he's going to send the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is sent to help us in this life. He's sent to embolden us to live for Christ. He is sent to strengthen our faith to teach us and give us understanding in God's truth. He empowers us to serve each other with the gifts of the Spirit. And as we turn to God in love and prayer, he teaches us even to be able to relate to God as our Abba Father. He really teaches us how we can relate to God as a child of God. The Spirit is a major source of connection and closeness to God in our lives. But you see, there he says, If you love me, keep my commands, I will ask the Father. The Spirit works in tandem with our willingness to love and follow Christ. That's God's plan. We can grieve the Spirit by ignoring God in our lives, or we can be encouraged and strengthened by the spirit through prayer and devotion and obedience to god <clears throat> it's basically up to us the spirit is the gift from god and what a gift it's god himself with us and strengthening us and emboldening us <clears throat> encouraging us but god doesn't force us to obey He leaves it up to us to choose to follow him. And when we make that choice, he's all in and helping us. So really the bottom line is what we read here in verse 18. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. We have the presence, empowerment, and guidance of God himself in the person of the Holy Spirit. But we need to choose to love and follow Christ, to have the full working of the Spirit. So here we are as we draw near, nearer and nearer to commemorating Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. And we will face tough times in our lives, We will have times of not quite understanding how all the pieces fit together. But we can live with a mindset of perseverance. We can set our sights beyond the cross. God's Spirit is always with us to help us through. And so we can say with all Sincerity. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. Let's pray.